Father God, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we ask that we dedicate this service to you, Lord. Not that it would show off me or anything that I've overcome, Lord, but that the glory would befall upon you, Lord. That everybody in this building would see what a great, merciful, gracious God that you are. In your name we pray, Father. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Uh, like Yvette said, I grew up in church. You guys know my mom? Chris, she's over there. Oh, Blondie. Sorry. Uh, Blondie and my dad, who most of you probably know, are pastors. So I've, I've been in church my entire life. Um, I've been hit over the head with a Bible physically, not joking. I've had it preached to me. I know it backwards and forwards. But there comes a time in your life when you grow up and you start making decisions on your own. And uh, that time for me, instead of clinging to God's call and God's plan on my life, I decided to do a complete 180, run as hard and as fast as I could in the other direction. And I wasn't going to look back. So, after I was born and uh, my mother was sick in the hospital, uh, my father decided to bring me to church for the first time when I was four days, four days old. He brought me with my grandmother the church in San Jose that they went to. And somewhere along the middle of praise and worship, I started making my way around the church to the hands of different people. And one of those ladies grabbed me, ran me all the way back to my father and grandmother, and told me, that boy's a prophet. That boy will preach. He will prophesy. I've heard that since I was four days old. And about the time I was 14, I decided it's not happening. I'd seen mom and dad go through some things. I'd seen them go after God, follow God, do everything he ever asked. I'd also seen them get dragged through the mud. And I decided if that's the way God treats his people, he ain't getting me that way. I'll do my own thing. So I started rebelling. I was... Every Friday, Saturday, some Sundays, I'd be out with the friends, cruising around in the old 95 Chevy Regency conversion van that we had when I started driving, because I didn't have the keys to the bins yet. Don't worry, I got them later. But uh, we'd cruise around, we'd go from party to party. At this point in time, we were living in Grapevine. There's always a party in Grapevine. Always a party in Dallas. It's not that hard to find anything that you want. So needless to say, for at least three days out of every week, the three days that I could get away with it, I was completely wasted out of my mind. A couple years later, my dad decided that it would be a great idea to get away from the hustle and bustle and move down to Granbury, Texas. Well, when you go from playing football a big school in the Metroplex, to coming down to a town that, at least when we moved down here, hadn't won a game in 14 years? 
Guess where the last place in the world I wanted to move was? Granbury, Texas. That's right. So I did the only thing I knew how to do, and I hit it even harder and faster than I could. Moved on to the bigger and the better stuff. Came time to graduate. I'm one of those math idiots. I can add, subtract, multiply, and divide, but uh, I don't believe that letters and numbers should be in the same room together. That's right. About to be 30 here pretty soon, and I still haven't used algebra one day in my entire life. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay attention and do your homework. Anyway, so I dropped out of high school. Got enrolled over there at Stars Academy. Dropped out of there. I decided that I was going to uh, follow in the footsteps of my grandfather and join the United States Marine Corps. Guess what? You can't get in the United States Marine Corps with a GED unless you have at least 10 college credit hours. Guess who wasn't smart enough to pull out 10 college credit hours? Well, I drank too much. I did too many drugs. Did not want to get a real job, so I just left the uh, Marine Corps recruiter office and said, I'll join the Army. And I joined the Army and left two weeks later. My first day of basic training was on September 11, 2005. I got a rude awakening very, very quickly. And I loved the military. I absolutely loved every single day of it. It didn't matter what we were doing. Basic training was the funnest time I ever had in my life. I loved it. Some things came up. I wound up hurting both my knees. My contract got terminated quicker than it was supposed to. So, I blamed God. Came back to good old Granbury, Texas, where I had a fiancé waiting on me to get married. Oh, yeah. Don't marry the person that you think you're in love with at 17. It doesn't ever work out. Came back here, found out that she had cleared out the entire checking account and spent it on her other boyfriend. That made me really happy. Two days later, I discovered methamphetamine for the first time. I was 19 when that happened. Now, a lot of people will tell you that The human body can only take, what is it, two and a half grams a day before before it can OD you? Two and a half grams. That's a lot of crystal meth. That's about a $250 a day habit. At one point in time, when half the crystal meth in this county ran through my hands, I was smoking, snorting, and shooting over $500 of meth every single day. We'll get to it later on, but there was at one point where, I know I'm not the biggest guy now, I'm up to 158, but at one point I weighed less than 80 pounds. So you go from growing up in church and hearing about how great God is to becoming the next Pablo Escobar. 
which was who I wanted to be. I idolized Pablo Escobar, the fictitious Tony Montana. I used to run around all the time. We'd have a cornucopia of narcotics. I'd have meth, coke, pot, LSD. I'd have GHB. I'd have ecstasy. I'd have everything. And I would do it all at the same time. I remember one night, I have a very good friend of mine who uh, happens to be at a prison called The Wall this very moment, where he's going to be for about another ten years. This guy did some bad stuff, same as I did, but he happened to get caught a whole lot sooner. He was on parole at the time. He was my right-hand man. We were running all kinds of dope all over this town. And then one night, when I got mad at the girlfriend who I had taken back for the twelfth time, she left. I got mad. I did everything I could. When I hit the floor, the only guy that was around was probably the worst guy in the room. All those friends that I thought I had, out of 35 people that were at my house, one guy, the guy who's on parole, picked me up and drove me to the hospital. He's on this. He's on this. We've been doing this. He's got this much of this in his system. If you're on parole, that's a big no-no. You're going back. But God. But God are the two words that I have come to learn in my life that are the most important in every story. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. But God. Girls, do you need a break? Pay attention. You see, in this life, when things happen, you have two options. You can do it your way, or you can do it God's way. My short time on this earth, I've realized that I don't know more than God does. No matter how many times I've tried to tell him that my way is going to work better, that I know better than he does, my outcome's always better doesn't work like that. God has a plan for each and every one of your lives. And you have two options. You can stick to the plan. Or you can make your own way. With that being said, I want to share a little something with you that hits really close to home. If my Bible will actually reload. There we go. How many of you have heard the story of the prodigal son? One. That's good. Three. All right. 
Luke 15.10. This is actually the end of the previous story. But I feel that it's very important. Luke 15.10 says, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner that repenteth. One. Just one. Out of the millions and millions of people that bondage grasps every single day on this planet, one finds their way back home. And heaven has a party. 1511 goes on to tell the actual story and it says, And he said, him being Jesus, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. He basically said, give me what's mine. He wanted his inheritance. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Riotous living is what I was doing on a daily basis. I was doing everything I could, every single drug I could find. I'd kill a dirty 30, which is a 30-pack of beer, by lunch. And then in order to wake up, I'd go smoke a bowl. I've had a few out-of-body experiences, both spiritual and drug-induced. So I know a little bit about riotous living. What I didn't realize is that not only was I going against God directly, but I was also breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and mother, that you may live a long and prosperous life. Now, my parents were pastors. How much honor was I bringing to them? Zero. You don't get to do $500 worth of coke in two hours. Have somebody write your entire name, happy birthday, Noah Kennedy, in one giant line of coke down a six-foot-long folding table and snort it and bring honor to your parents. Now, I'm not trying to make myself seem like this awesome guy you should want to be. I'm just telling you the reality. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for you. You see this right here? That's what your teeth get to look like. You get holes. They rot out. You can ask my beautiful wife who's right there. It never fails. Drops below 65 degrees outside. Somebody better go get a bottle of Tylenol. It's, it's that bad. But 
you live with it. One day, I'm sure I'll get them all pulled and get dingers, but those are 15 grand. <laughs> but I, I, I don't want you to think that the reason I'm telling you this is so, you know, you can go try and outdo me. Because, number one, if that's your first thought, you're an idiot. Plain and simple. You think that? You're an idiot. I come as a warning. Listen to the voice of experience. See, the big name spelled out in Coke isn't even where the story ends. That's just kind of like a quarter or halfway through. Not long after my 21st birthday, which happened to be the day that I met my wife, I... uh I found myself on the way to go meet her. In a 1994 Honda Civic with a cracked radiator. And I decided it's a good idea to drive all the way from Granbury down to Stephenville with a cracked radiator, 12 grams of some of the purest anhydrous methamphetamine you've ever seen. Melted up in a piece of tinfoil. Got pulled over, too. Drove away. Wasn't the first time. I was real good at hiding the stuff. Absolutely out of my mind. High as a kite, played it off. I'd been pulled over God knows how many times. High as a kite. Multiple ounces in the car. Walked away every single time. That's why I never stopped. They couldn't get me. Hood County was too stupid. They didn't know anything. They weren't going to get me in handcuffs. So I go down, find Courtney. It was all melted. 114 degrees outside, broken radiator. I'm trying to party. I'm going to impress her. It got melted. There was no impression. So I decided I'd do it again a couple weeks later. Somehow, we wound up being together. And then one night, I get a phone call. Hey, I just found out I'm pregnant. Okay. Maybe we should get rid of everything. That's not something you need to do while you're pregnant. Okay, I'll come get you. So she came all the way up to Granbury to come get me. I was living in a barn 
I'd lost my house, lost my car. My uncle, who I worked for, didn't want me working for him anymore. It's not a good idea to climb trees with a running chainsaw where you're high out of your mind. Did it anyway until the day that I had a little freak out. 65 feet up in the air and I saw spiders that weren't there. Anybody who knows me knows that a daddy long legs will trip me out. I don't care. Okay? I have shotgun in the house for a reason. It's not to protect the family. It's for spiders. Okay? But what I'm saying is, is I thought that I was at a low point, that I was at rock bottom. I went to my parents. I lost my house. Of course, you know, my dad being the great comforter to the oldest son. Well, get a job. Get a new house. Well, can I stay here? No. They knew what I was doing. My mother, though, had a kind enough heart to tell dad that I was going to sleep in the barn. I slept like an animal. Humans don't sleep in barns. We sleep in beds, in houses, where when it's 35 degrees outside, we can turn the heater up to 81, unless you live at my house with my wife, and that's a no-no. Yeah, She's hot-natured. I'm cold-natured. But God. But I was. I was living like an animal. Exactly like the prodigal son. As it goes on to say. In verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And sent him into the fields to feed his swine. His pigs. And he would fain have his belly filled with the husks that the swine ate. And no man gave unto him. So basically nobody would give him anything and he didn't have any food. So he ate what the pigs didn't. That was me. I'd run in the house at 3 o'clock in the morning, pop the lock, just to go make sure that somebody had left some leftovers somewhere so that I could have something to eat. I'd go days and weeks without eating. I went 22 days without sleep one time. If it hadn't been for a friend of mine who'd kicked the door in because nobody had heard from me and found two 90cc bumps that were stuck in my arms, I had two needles one in each arm with 90 cc's. That's a gram a piece. That's riotous living. That's low. You don't get much lower than that. So Courtney calls. She's going to come get me. We're going to get rid of everything that she has. 
she has. She was pregnant, not me. Because when you're high, that's how you think. It ain't about anybody else. It's about you. It's not about God. It's not about your family. It's not about the ones who loves you. You don't even care about the dog at that point. So I said, okay, yeah, let's get rid of it. Let's make sure that, you know, that everything's okay. So she came and got me. We went to go drop the other two kids off at the skating rink in Stephenville. Yeah. So we drop them off at the skating rink. We're going to drive to a friend's house. We're going to get rid of everything she's got. Which was what? Nine, something like that? Nine grams. Almost $1,000 worth of dope. And a little plastic cellophane cigarette container. Now, it's her dope, so she's holding on to it because we're driving down the road. And it's funny how red, white, and blue in this country are the colors of freedom until there's behind you flashing in a pattern. Now, like I said earlier, I've ducked the cops plenty of times. These guys are idiots. I'm smarter than they are. They pull her out of the car. She's in shorts and a t-shirt. It's 28 degrees outside. I'm in the car for 45 minutes. I've already swallowed nine grams. Swallowed it. One go. I'm in the clear. I can pull this off. There's no way they're going to find out. 45 minutes, I sit there. She's outside in the cold. I'm in the car. They won't let me get out. They won't let her have a jacket or anything. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Because neither one of us are smart enough to realize that when we let a friend of ours take the car the night before, and he got pulled over and went to jail for dirty plates, we thought they arrested him because they thought he stole the car. Not knowing that they pulled him over and then searched the car because it wasn't his and found all the dope on him because the plates were so dirty that they couldn't read the number. But I was smarter than the cops. So finally they come to me and they say, we're going to search the car. I said, go ahead, no problem. What's it matter to me? It's her car. I get pulled out of the car. Before I can say anything, my face meets windshield. Hard, fast, and furious. I'm handcuffed immediately. I have no idea why. They don't know who I am. I'm in Stephenville. I've never been pulled over in Stephenville. But they went directly for my wallet, which I didn't remember about the three grams of anhydrous that was melted in tinfoil that was folded up inside my wallet. So, 
take a little ride. I actually got to ride in the front seat of a cop car for once. Never had that happen before, even though I was handcuffed. I kind of thought it was cool. Back seats aren't very comfortable. The front seat's at least made out of cloth. Um, So I found myself in jail. No money. Didn't have a cell phone. Can't call my dad. Because dad's got a real strict jail policy. You get in there, you can get yourself out. He ain't coming to visit. He ain't sending money. He ain't calling a lawyer. It's not his fault I was in there. It's mine. So, I'm thinking I'll probably be in here for a while. Somehow I went to sleep. I don't know how. Nine grams of dope, nobody normally goes to sleep. Any other person, their heart would stop. You know, I joke with my mom all the time, I'm a, basically a Red Bull addict. I, I drink a lot of Red Bull. My mom's always telling me, you need to stop it, it's bad for you. And I'm like, really, Mom? <laughs> but, so I went to sleep. And I had a dream that I walked out the next morning. No harm, no foul, right? So I woke up a couple hours later. You're free to go. Okay. Some girl showed up and paid your bond. Well, who was it? We don't know. I guess you'll find out when you get out there. Okay. Turns out my wife over here, who was just my girlfriend at the time, decided to go down to the bail bondsman down the road from the jail, put the title to her 2001 Dodge Neon up against my bond, which was... Ten? Five thousand? First time? Five thousand the first time. I'm telling you, that car was not worth five thousand. So all I had to do was not smoke dope and to call my bail bondsman once a week. I didn't even have to pay. I just had to pick up the phone and call. That was January 5th, 2009. No, 2008. November. Yeah. November 5th, 2009. All I had to do was call. But I was a free man. It's time to get high. Not even getting arrested could stop me. Wasn't going to happen. So uh, we go down to Houston to take the kids to their grandparents' house for a weekend around Christmas. I get a call at 3.17 in the morning from my father. So I sent that one to voicemail. I get a call at 325 from my father 
sent that one to voicemail too. Sent my mom to voicemail another ten minutes later. But in the morning, I called him back. Hood County Sheriff's Department showed up with a search warrant and an arrest warrant at 3 o'clock in the morning. There was a lot of people looking for me. So I thought, oh, well, I should probably call and check in with my bondsman. It had been two months. I didn't call him once. So I said, hey, is there uh revoke my bond or what? And, of course, he's a bail bondsman. Oh, no, you're fine. Oh, okay. Because, but I do need you to come pee in a cup. Okay, no problem. I can get somebody clean to pee in a Mountain Dew bottle. I've done it a thousand times. So we leave Houston, go back to the house. I didn't go in because I got high. So at this point, I'm living with her friend who has hooked up with my ex. And I don't care. Because I have more dope than anybody in Stephenville, Texas. And I have friends. I love the attention. I like feeling important. Important's really not all it's cut out to be. So... Around New Year's, Courtney gets a phone call. You got 48 hours to bring him in or I'm taking your car. Now, she's got two kids and one on the way. Got to get to work. So she calls me and says, I don't know what they want, but you got to go in or they're going to come take my car. And legally they can. All right, I'm a smooth talker. I'll go in there, I'll get out of this, I'll get out of everything. I'm invincible. So we decided to have a big New Year's blowout. Do thousands of dollars worth of narcotics. Where? I was a drug dealer. I mean, plain and simple. I was a drug dealer. I, I moved a lot. It, I make no joke when I say if it came through this county, then I probably touched it. Not only did I run drugs for the Aryan Brotherhood, but I also double-dipped and helped out the Mexican Mafia. That's called riotous living. Now, I'm not trying to be funny, but anybody who has half a brain knows that you don't work for the white power guys and brown pride at the same time. That's a little dangerous.
But when you're kicking indoors for both teams, who cares? You got all the protection you need. Until you don't. So anyway, so I find myself in this bail bondsman's office. And I walk in and there's some dude there I've never seen before. But I just think he works for the guy. He's in a hoodie. Big old knit cap. So I'm talking to my bondsman. Oh, no, everything's good. Oh, yeah, no, I'm working. We're real busy. My bad. That's why I ain't called you, you know. Yeah, no, I can totally pee in a cup. Totally, right now. He goes, okay. Well, this guy's going to take your urine sample. Okay. So I know the drill. I stand up. Grab the cup off the desk. Find myself face first on the floor. Hands behind my back. Guy in the hoodie and the knit caps, an undercover cop. Who had a warrant for my arrest for jumping bail. back to jail. Luckily, it wasn't very far walk. It's right across the street. So now here's Courtney with me in jail. Her car is the only thing that kept me out of jail. They can legally take it. She can be screwed. But God had mercy. She wound up keeping her car. That day was January 5th. So I got booked. I knew I wasn't getting out for a while this time. My parents didn't know what I went to jail for the first time. I told them it was a speeding ticket. I don't know if they believed me or not, but that's what I told them. About two days after I'd been in there, mom, her mom, my grandfather, my brothers, they all came down. Dad didn't come down. And I had asked mom, I said, Dad not coming? She goes, you know the answer to that. Okay. I see how he is. Instead of wanting to help out, he's just going to let me fall. Appreciate that. So now dad's the bad guy because I got high. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? A couple days later, I got a letter in the mail. That letter was my wake-up call. For the first time in years, I actually woke up. Now, like I told you earlier, it's been spoken over me since I was real young that he was going to be a prophet. I'm sure Yvette can, can attest to this. When God talks to the prophets, it's not the small, still, quiet voice. He really makes sure we hear him.
So I get this letter. And this is the actual letter, word for word. Dear Noah, your mom and I got your letter Friday. My prayer for you each day is that God will keep you safe and that he will use this time of incarceration to remind you of what your purpose is in life. God made you, anointed you, and called you to be his prophet to the nations. I hope you've become tired of running from him and will accept what his plan is for your life. If this incident doesn't get your attention, I fear your life will be full of disappointment and trials. I've done my best to teach you how to be a man of integrity and honesty. I hope you're released soon so I can see you. You know that I cannot come to the jail because I gave you my word. I would not. If a man doesn't have his word, he has no integrity. And without our integrity, we're just like everyone else. I've tried to teach you that we are all a product of what we read, what we listen to and watch and who we hang around with. And I pray that as you fight the boredom of the long hours and days that you will try to recall your father's wisdom that he tried to instill in you. The good news is that God is a forgiving God. You need to be truly repentant for the life you have been living and cry out to him for forgiveness, protection and deliverance. He will always take you back into his loving arms as we will. Your mother and I are pained at your situation. We know that beyond all the foolishness that only you are responsible for your predicament. Your grandparents are very distraught. Papa is very depressed over this. I look forward to seeing you soon so that we can sit down and talk about your future. We all miss hearing from you. I pray the legal system will give you a second chance and that you will show us what a model citizen you can be. You have it in you to be a great man of God, a good husband, and father someday. I am praying for you daily. I miss and hurt for you. Trust God and watch him do miraculous things. I love you. Dad. It was January 18th, 2010. Like I said, that was my wake-up call. If you ever hear anything about jail, they'll tell you don't cry in jail. It's dangerous. Makes you a target. Quite an easy one. I bawled like a child for days. Two days straight. Made myself a target, too. Got jumped in the rec yard because, oh, look, the guy was crying. He must be weak. Courtney would come to visit me. Mom would come to visit me. I'd have black eyes. Oh, well. But it was my wake-up call. And amongst all that crying and bawling, I did something else that you probably shouldn't do in jail, and I cried out to God verbally, loudly. 
And I said, I don't want this anymore. I'm tired of ruining my life. I'm tired of ruining my family's life. They're hurting because of me. See, not only was I jacking my own life up, mom and dad were pastoring a church 150, 200 miles away. They're leaving every weekend. So I'm breaking into the house, going into the dresser, taking money out. I got stuff to do. I can't wait on all these people to bring me my re-up money. I got to go get it myself. Because when you move that much stuff, when the money doesn't show, that's dangerous. It's not a game. See, I can't say that I've never had a gun held to my head and been forced to do something. Because I have. Many times. But it's my fault. They say the first hit's always free, and that's exactly true. The first hit is always free. I'd give you free dope or free coke every single time because I needed a return customer. It's a nice thing about meth is it has a 95% addiction and relapse rate. So even when people go through rehab, 95% of them wind up back on it in less than three months anyway. But it's my fault. I took the first hit. I took that free hit. So I cried out to God. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I said, I don't know what to do, but I don't want it to be this. Three days, same prayer, over and over again, all day. Until finally, while I'm sitting there laying in my metal bunk with no mattress, toilet paper rolled up in a little blanket as a pillow, snowing in the jail cell. I felt a weight come off of me. Now, it couldn't have been much because, like I said, when I weighed in, I was 78 pounds. 6'1", 78 pounds, that's pretty thin. But I felt a weight come off of me. I wasn't distraught anymore. I'm not saying that I was completely at peace, but I felt better. I didn't have any cravings. I didn't feel the need to go get high. Not that it would do anything because I was in jail. But if you know anything about any kind of narcotic, when you're coming off of it, your body wants more. A lot of people die that way. Because their body tricks itself into thinking that it needs it to survive. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have all the classic signs of... uh, Detox is what they call it when you go to rehab. I didn't get the shakes. I had immediate and complete release. That's what repentance and deliverance is about. See, I can get up here and I can tell you that since 
January 18, 2010, I've been a recovering drug addict. But I'm not going to. Because I'm not a recovering drug addict. There's no such thing as a recovering drug addict. You're either a drug addict or you're not. Because I don't know about your God, but when I give something to my God, he takes it away. And he forgets about it. And it doesn't exist. Now, if you have the flu, you might have the flu for what? A week, two weeks, sometimes a month you can have the flu. But when the flu goes away, you don't walk around and say, I've been recovering from the flu since I was seven years old, do you? When you break your arm and four months later they take you out of a cast, you don't get to walk around and say, well, I'm a recovering arm break person. You don't, do you? Now, I know that's funny, but a lot of people will walk around and they will tell you that I'm a recovering drug addict. That I'm destined to fail because I refuse to admit to it. But God. See, because God works better than rehab. And I can prove it. I worked for a rehab a couple years ago. I saw it every day. I was clean, sober, wasn't doing anything. But I know a guy that owns a rehab, and he needed help, and I needed some money. So it seemed like a perfect idea. But in the year and a half or so that I worked there, it was like a carousel. You'd see one come in. He'd go out. Two months later, right back in the door. It was like a rotating stock of people, return customers. Because rehab doesn't work. Rehab doesn't fix the situation. It doesn't fix the problem. You see, because drug addiction isn't a, it's not a medical thing. Addiction is not a disease. Addiction is not even a thing. I don't even know why they call it addiction. It's bondage. It's demonic bondage. And until you give that bondage to God, and I mean really give it to him, down on your hands and knees, bawling, You're never going to get rid of it. So I had my wake-up call. Luke fifteen seventeen. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Not only had I sinned against my earthly father, I'd sinned against my heavenly father. I got saved when I was young at a Royal Rangers meeting in San Diego, California. I remember. I'd been baptized. I knew better. Not only did I break my earthly father's heart, I broke my heavenly father's heart. Now, to this day, I still can't tell you which one of those hurts more. Because I know even though both of them have forgiven me, I haven't forgotten.
I am no more worthy to be called thy son. That's exactly how I felt. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, in Texas terms, when he was over yonder, when he was down the road, I don't know about you, but my driveway is about, what, a mile long? Got this giant dirt road. That's what I think of when I read this now. Because if I stand at the edge of my driveway, I can see for a mile. I don't like to run, so to me, that's a great way off. When he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. See, that's the image of God that you need to get from this, is that even though you are so far off and you are so far down the road that there is no coming back, God sees you. And when you make the decision to come back to Him, He knows. And He doesn't just sit there and let you do it all your own. He comes running to you. You don't even have to meet Him halfway. Take one step and He'll figure the rest out. He's God. You're not. He comes running with forgiveness and grace and compassion and mercy to bring you back. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. The best. It's what your heavenly father wants for you is the best. He doesn't want you to have second rate. He doesn't want you to have the worst, the low. He wants you to have the best. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. I don't know. Maybe they were bright orange. And I don't have a ring, but I got a really nice watch. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. You know, another letter that my father wrote to me that I'm not going to read to you. The end was that right there. I hope that one day you get out and I can kill the fatted calf. Can I tell you that seven years ago, a week ago, I went to mom and dad's house for barbecue. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. 
So I know I gave you a lot of information. And I know some of it sounds like it could be a fishtail, but it's not. But the main thing that you need to take away from this is that deliverance and repentance are the only two ways to get to your true calling with God. It's not perfection. My mother's prayers didn't save me and bring me to repentance. The only thing my mother's prayers got me were incarcerated. Because her prayer was, Lord, keep him safe. I'm glad my mother prayed for me to get arrested. I would be dead right now if she hadn't. But repentance and deliverance can only come if you want it. And like I said earlier, when you decide to turn back to God, you can take one step and he'll take the rest. But that one step is getting down on your knees before the Father and begging him. Begging, Father, take this away. I don't want it. But God knows your heart. God knows your heart. So if you don't really want it, you're not going to get it. But don't be that person that doesn't really want it and doesn't get it and then shake and point their finger at God. That's blasphemy. The only way is just to take that first step. And he'll do the rest. Now, my wife alerted to me tonight on the way up here that I've been clean for seven years. And I find it very funny that seven years later that I can actually share this getting through the whole thing and taking longer than four minutes. The last time I told this, it went about 12 and a half minutes in front of a much larger crowd. That was a year after. But seven's a number of biblical perfection. But what I'm trying to tell you is that seven years ago, I asked the Father to take something away from me. And in return, he gave me my life. I'm married, I have three kids. I have a really fast car that doesn't have a cracked radiator. I have a 2015 Charger. And uh, just so you know, it does do over 140 at 2 o'clock in the morning when you drive it home from the dealership. (laughs) I own my own company now. The two most important things to me are that I don't hurt the Father's heart by going out and grabbing a pipe or a needle or a hundred dollar bill to snort a line with. I don't hurt my family's heart anymore. 
I used to make the side of me sometimes used to make my dad sick. But my dad and I are best friends now. I talk to my dad on the phone more than I talk to my wife. We literally talk every day. He's the person that I hurt the most in all this. And I'm proud to tell you today that he's, you know, my, he's my best friend. He's my business partner. He's still my pastor, my mentor, my teacher. I don't hurt him anymore. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close. Pray. And if tonight, if you think that that you need deliverance, I don't need you to come up to the front. I don't need you to come make a big public scene because everybody's going to bow their eyes or bow their heads and close their eyes. Except me. And if you feel that you need that deliverance, I want you to just put a finger in the air. I'll see it. And I just want you to pray the way that you need to pray. And if you're serious, and I mean if you're serious, I guarantee you that the Father is a better doctor than a jail cell or a rehab bed. So with that being said, everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. Father God, we come to you tonight in a day and age where drug use and drug addiction, Lord, bondage is running rampant in our community and in our country more than it's ever been, Lord. And we come to you tonight, Father, to to thank you for the good times. Thank you for the blessings, the protections that you've put over our lives, Lord. Father, we also come to you and ask you forgiveness. Any, any way that we've hurt you, Father. That we've hurt your heart. Father, we come to you right now. And we repent. And we ask for your mercy, for your grace. Because, Father, the only way that we can ever get rid of the things that we deal with, we know, is to lay them down at the altar and give them to you. So that you can take them away and give us something even better. Lord, we thank you for your son who was nailed to a cross and beat for our sins. And Father, I know that that's a hard decision that you must have had to make, but you made it for us. And we thank you for it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.